From deep in the heart of the swamp, this is Gator Tales, the official podcast of the Florida Gators. Gator Tales is brought to you by UF Health, the official healthcare provider of the Florida Gators. Welcome to Gator Tales. I'm your host, Adam Schick. As the realization sets in across the country that college football is officially on hiatus, the time has come for basketball to take over in the collective consciousness. For the Gators, it's been an up-and-down start to conference play, or better yet, a down-and-up trajectory based on the early results. On today's show, we'll talk the latest in hoops, football, gymnastics, and more with FloridaGators.com senior writers Chris Harry and Scott Carter. Then, we'll chat with freshman guard Noah Locke about being born into basketball and how this class has quickly established themselves on the court and in the locker room. But first, the Gators have followed a similar script through their first two SEC games, building big leads late that have quickly evaporated. But while they ultimately succumbed to South Carolina on Saturday at home, they persevered against Arkansas on the road in an almost identical scenario. To open this week's roundtable, we asked Chris what the difference was between the two performances that allowed the Gators to get their first conference win. Well, first of all, I mean, I think this is a pattern that, you know, it's entirely possible that it could be something that plays out over the course of the season. When you have a team like like the Gators are showing to be that, that you know, struggles to put the ball in the basket, they're really going to have to rely on on their defense, and their and the defense is playing at an incredibly high level. I'm talking like national elite high level. It's, they started went into the conference season uh, ranked sixth in the country in in defensive efficiency when you talk about advanced metrics and what have you. And certainly that played itself out and was on display at Arkansas. <laughs> Arkansas averages 81 points a game. Um, they scored 51. A couple weeks ago, uh, Butler came in here. Florida held them 30 points below their average. Michigan State came in here 30 points below their average, albeit in a loss. Same thing with uh, West Virginia. Uh, I think it was 35 points below their their season average. So this is going to be a really frustrating kind of year if it isn't already for Florida fans because the, obviously their expectations in terms of the ball going in the basket were going to be a lot were a lot different heading into the season. But uh, this this team isn't wired like that. Uh, so what they are wired for is, is defending. And when you go through these offensive struggles, you have to be able to answer on the defensive end. That's all there is to it. Florida was not able to do it against South Carolina. One of the reasons was because, uh, they were in foul trouble. Um, their best defensive player wasn't on the floor, Kavarius Hayes. Now, having said that, he was in foul trouble again at Arkansas. And he, I believe he got his third foul 15 seconds in the second half. Down he went. But collectively, in a smaller lineup, uh, Keystone uh, was out of the starting lineup. Jalen Hudson, the fifth-year senior, was in the starting lineup. He has picked up his game a little bit, uh, not his offensive game. Nobody's picked up their offensive game today except for the uh, freshman guard, Noah Locke. But um, Jalen's a little bit better on defense. And uh, I think Mike White's uh, surveying his team and figure out what's going to get guys on the court. And right now it's, it's how hard you play, how hard you defend how few straight line drives you surrender a couple times when guys are giving up, giving those up, they're going to sit down. This is how Florida is going to have to play. And there's going to be some frantic moments late in games. Now, um, 14 point lead with 10 minutes to go, a 15 point lead with uh, just under six minutes to go. 
I think Dante Bassett said it best afterwards when I talked to him. He says it's pitiful. You can't be put in that position where it's a it's a two point game with a minute to go. They got to learn how to close out games better. One of the best ways to do it is to get to the free throw line. Unfortunately for Florida, they they, they weren't even in the boat. Arkansas was in a bonus of th- I think 13 minutes left in the game. Hmm. Florida didn't get to the bonus till Kayvon Allen was fouled, I believe, with 12 seconds left and was facing a one and one. He ends up hitting four free throws down the stretch. A really good uh, uh, a clutch performance by him on that front. But uh, he's their best scorer. It was three for 11 from the floor, one for nine from the three-point line. And yet you go to Arkansas and you win. Uh, you shoot 31%. You go to Arkansas and win because you hold Arkansas to 30% from the floor and six of 26 from the three-point line, a high-scoring team. So that's who this team is right now. And Igor Kolachev and Chris Joes aren't walking through that door. Mm-hmm. So this is kind of who the Gators are going to have to be until they figure some other stuff out. And you can only figure out so so much when you have same guys on the team. You can't bring in new guys. Well, I think the part that's fascinating about it is Florida's having trouble putting the ball in the basket. And yet it's a team that's made up of a lot of really talented offensive players and scorers. So where is the disconnect as far as the coaching staff can figure and what are they trying to do to, to shake things up and make the guys appear w- within themselves? Well, I can assure you that, that at practice and at shoot-arounds, you know, they're, when they run their dry offense, they're running around, they're setting screens and stuff like that. When they get out there, they get confused. Some of that is on personnel, and, and that puts uh, Andrew Nemhard in a difficult situation sometimes. But he's very calm. One of the things that Mike said uh, in, an, in an interview session last week, they're spending so much energy on defense. It's kind of like his, his, uh, his objective to run some clock off and let these guys kind of, kind of rest a little bit on the offensive side because it, maybe because invariably he knows they're, they're not going to put the ball in the basket. I mean, uh, Keith Stone hadn't scored the last two games. Keontae Johnson hasn't scored the last two games. Uh, you mentioned uh, talented offensive players. I mean, Jalen Hudson was, at times looked like Kobe Bryant last year. Mm-hmm. Um, he's averaging eight points a game. I, I don't even think it's eight points a game, actually. Kayvon Allen is, 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 is at a career low, uh, at, at, at just under 11 points a game. Andrew Nemhard is not a scoring point guard. Uh, not, not anything like you would say Chris Chioza would have been last year. And, and I don't know that people would consider Chris Chioza a scoring point guard, but he certainly, put up more points than, than Andrew Nemhart has. So Noah Locke is the guy who's kind of taken the honest on himself. He works hard to get open. When he is open, he takes shots. He does things that I think the coaches would really like Kayvon Allen to do. He shot the ball 11 times against Arkansas. They would have liked it to have been more around 15, but one of the good things about it was he got to the free throw line 12 times. Noah Locke shot it 16 times against South Carolina. That's too many. Uh, Kayvon Allen shot it six times against South Carolina. Made four, including two from two from the three-point line. So Florida is going to be a better offensive uh, team. They need Kayvon Allen to be more aggressive. And frankly, they need Jalen Hudson to put some more shots in the basket because he has open shots at him, especially three-point shots. They're not going in. Just when you watch him, he, he doesn't look that confident uh, shooting the basketball right now. Even though he says he is, he's saying the right things. Mm-hmm. You know, you want to say this is stuff that they're just they need to play through. But it may be a case, like I said earlier, that this is just who they are. And if you're going to struggle to score, you better be able to defend on the other side. And right now, this is an outstanding defensive basketball team, with the exception of a few moments against South Carolina. That's the kind of defense you're going to have to play if they're going to kind of uh, work their way into that upper half of the, of the Southeastern Conference, which you know they could do. 
who knows what what's going to happen. But uh, uh, I, I know one thing: their next game, Saturday night against Tennessee, uh, they better be elite on defense because that's a team that has a chance to win a national championship this season. Yeah, and that leads me into my next question, which is a two pronger. Number one, for those people like me who suddenly realized at the beginning of the year, wow, Tennessee got really good in basketball really quickly. How did that happen? And then the second part is, what does Florida have to do to compete with a team that just beat Georgia by almost 50 points and Missouri by over 30? One of the things that happened is Rick Barnes. Obviously, he's an excellent coach. He's been, he's been a terrific coach at every stop he's been to, Texas, Clemson before that, Providence before that. They had the two leading scorers in the league and Grant Williams at Admiral Schofield. I guarantee they lead the SEC, if not the country, in playing hard. They're an undersized team, and at all of them play seem to play two and three inches above however big any of them are. You will not find a player of a more intense player than Admiral Schofield. Um, Grant Williams was a three-star uh, recruit who had his choice between Yale and Tennessee, and goes to Tennessee. He was SEC Player of the Year last year, potential All-American. Both both these two guys have worked their way into into consideration as first-round draft picks. Kyle Alexander is a six foot eleven uh, inside guy. They got Jordan Bone on the outside, who is a, a hyena when it comes to playing defense. Jordan Bowden is there is another guard. They have a guy by the name of Ease Pons who was here on a on a visit. He's from France. Florida had him in for a visit when he was being recruited. He doesn't even care if he ever touches the ball. All he does is kill people on defense. <laughs> uh, and the guy started nine games in that role and has and has been willing to accept it. But this is again again it's the team scores a bunch of points. Well over 80 points a game. So Florida's going to have to be that same kind of defense, but they're not going to be intimidated coming into the O-Dome at all. It's funny, you ask how they get this good. I remember when Florida went to Tennessee in Mike White's first season, a couple of these guys were on that team. You're talking like Admiral Schofield was on that team. And I remember him being just a an intense, charismatic player at that time. And those were guys that, that Rick Barnes kind of inherited or got in his first recruiting cycle. So They've been there. They've all grown together. They know what's expected of him, and uh, they know what expected what he expects of them. What's expected of all of them. And uh, again, their only losses to Kansas. Beak on Zag. I don't know if anyone saw that game. That was out in Phoenix on a neutral floor, if you want to call it that, on the west side of the country. But Admiral Schofield hit their last shots, uh, last five shots, all three pointers to end up winning that game. So uh, that. Should be a fun game. Certainly, if people come to the Odom, they're, they're going to see a really, really good basketball game. Or excuse me, a really good basketball team. Whether or not they see a really good basketball game may depend on whether or not Florida can put some shots in the, in the hole. And that game is officially sold out, by the way. So it should be a really raucous atmosphere inside the Odome. And uh, you can see that 6 o'clock on ESPN on Saturday. Tell the Gator fans, if you don't mind, to get there before the game because Dan Mullen's going to come out and address the team before the game. Maybe bring a couple of his players or two and uh, that should make for quite the scene maybe a way to get the get the team amped up before the game you can always you always bring in the football coach during the recruiting season to count on people jumping around a little bit in the uh in a basketball arena so uh uh that'll be a chance for the fans to maybe uh, uh give him and his and a couple of his football players uh, a nice round of applause and a nice thank you after what they accomplished uh this past season it's a perfect segue. Thank you for doing that for me. Uh, Scott, let's talk about football. I know that you wrote a, a column this week about the top 10 ranking being not just significant this year, but significant historically. Can you talk about why it's such a big deal that Florida finished where they did this year? 
But with all the good vibes at the end of the season, you have to go back to the start of the season to remember what the outlook for this program was in Mullen's first season. Uh, they were unranked, Adam, in, uh, in both major polls. And then, you know, what they did, you go 10-3 and three and finish up with a big win against Michigan, and suddenly they finished in the top 10, 6th in the coaches' poll, 7th in the AP top 25, and which just, you know, out of curiosity, you start looking through the records and, and see how many times in program history that's happened. And only one other time had the Gators started a season unranked in the uh, national poll AP, since it's obviously the poll that has been around since 1936, and finished in the top 10. That was 1983 when uh, the Gators were unranked. They used a big win over Miami to open the season to jump into the the top 25, and then they steadily climbed up throughout the year. The Iowa in the Gator Bowl finished 9-2-1, and one, finished 6th uh, in the country that year. That had not happened since uh, until here, but I was, it was curious. A couple of things that caught my attention looking some stuff up. In Steve Spurrier's first year in 1990, the Gators were unranked at the start of the year. Obviously, they quickly jumped in when they went, what, 50-7 to seven over Oklahoma State at home. And then they, they went on to a good season, but finished 13th. And then in Spurrier's final year as a player, they really got ripped in that regard. They uh, finished 9-2, and two, beat Georgia Tech in the Orange Bowl handily, but still finished, well, they, they, they peaked for whatever reason from a period in the 60s. Their final poll only had 10 teams. They beat Georgia Tech in the Orange Bowl. Georgia Tech finishes 8th, and Florida doesn't make the top 10. So, uh, you know, a little history lesson there, but it really just speaks more to, you know, what Dan Mullen was able to accomplish, uh, taking over a program that's coming off a four and seven season. I can honestly say I was thinking eight wins in year one would be a, a good step. That's double your win total. They go up to 10 wins, win a bowl game over Michigan, the program that had given them a lot of trouble. And, you know, when you talk about coaches of the year and what you look around college football, I mean, it's hard to find anybody who probably had a better season uh, in the situation he was in than Dan Mullen. So that was this season. But now, as is inevitable with college football fans, it's already on to what's going to happen next season. And that leads directly to guys that are staying, guys that are leaving. We've talked about this the last couple of weeks, Scott, in terms of who had declared, who was leaving early. Did that match the expectations? We now know all of the guys who are staying, who are leaving. Can you run through those for us and tell us if there are any surprises in your mind? Yeah, the big news last, you know, on our last show, Adam, was the guys who were leaving. And the Gators got a lot of positive news over the weekend on the guys who are staying. Uh, six guys uh, decided they're going to stay and come back for senior season or just come back for the final year of eligibility. And they do that in this day and age, guys, with graphics. I, I'm old enough to remember when <laughs> big press conferences existed for such announcements, whether you were leaving or going. Now it's just a, an avalanche of graphics on social media. Uh, you had Van Jefferson, the receiver. Tyree Cleveland, another receiver. Jabari Zaniga, the defensive end, running back with Michael Pirine. Uh, and a couple of guys that uh, they were in conversation as much. David Reese had already said, basically, he was coming back. But I think he, he got into the action, letting people know uh, over the weekend that he is coming back. And then, of course, Adam Schuler, the uh, transfer who came in last year from West Virginia and ended up really being 
uh, key starter along the defensive line. He's coming back. So that's six players that said they're coming back, and you, you mix that with the five who are leaving, and, and Ja'Kai Polite, Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, Jordan Scarlett, Dewan Taylor, and then linebacker Voshan Jokes. So it, there's some key departures, but uh, in the end, I think it balanced out pretty well for Florida considering the expectations. And it still matches the most players in program history they've ever had leave early. Uh, it's happened four other times uh, in program history where they've had five players leave still with eligibility remaining. But I do think that the guys they have coming back, some of the newcomers like Amari Bernie, uh, who, who started to develop there late in the season, had a really good peach bowl. Uh, I think you're going to see maybe not as much of a drop-off. I thought of all the of all the guys returning, I thought P. Ryan and Zuniga were the two that really were critical. Just because I think P. Ryan, uh, I think he's primed for a breakout season with Scarlet gone. And also Zuniga with Polite leaving. Uh, he's a guy that has had a couple of good back-to-back seasons, but he hasn't had that breakout season like Polite did in 2018. I'm sure Todd Grantham and Dan Mullen that was part of their message to him during those conversations. Look, we know you can be better. We can see you maybe in the shoes of Polite as a possible first-rounder next year if you can come back and you know let us help you another year. Uh, I think you made a wise decision. In terms of new faces we're going to see in, in 2019, some of those guys are already on campus, Scott, and obviously with the early signing day, they have uh, more guys have a chance to make that known earlier than before. So tell us about the guys who are on campus now and already working and in class. Yeah, you had nine guys come in uh, at the start of the spring semester. Uh, it's a chance for them to get a little bit of a head start on, on the guys who will be coming in over the summer. And, you know, we saw that work out well. You see that every year, some players getting help. I mean, uh, Emory Jones was a case last year who came in early. Uh, it, it got him maybe ahead of the curve where he was able to contribute a little during the season. So it's a, really a strategy that a lot of coaches uh, use. Uh, you look at the nine guys who came in, I mean, uh, the ones that really stand out to me, defensive back Chris Still from Los Angeles, he was a guy that just made his announcement official last week at the All-American Bowl in San Antonio. Uh, so you know that uh, Dan Mullen and those uh, defensive coaches were glad to get him on campus and get him acclimated to the program because there's going to be a chance where uh, you know he can get some playing time right away. There's another defensive back, Jaden Hill from Huntsville, Alabama, kind of fits the same mold. Uh, linebacker Mohamed Diabate from Auburn, Alabama, he's a, an interesting talent, I think. He's got a chance from what I've heard and just from what you, you read about his background. He's, he's definitely ahead of uh, the curve for a true freshman. So you get him on campus early. He's going to be someone to watch closely during spring camp to see his development and where that stands. Uh, and then, of course, we're always going to want to talk about a quarterback. The quarterback <laughs> who's here early is Jalen Jones. So last year, Emory Jones. This year, Jalen Jones from Richmond, Virginia, a player that Dan Mullen has had a relationship with going back to about 2015 at Mississippi State. At one time, it committed to uh, the Bulldogs, uh, pulled back that commitment, uh, weighed his options, ended up here at Florida. And from just speaking to the guy on uh, the early signing period in December, I can tell you he does not sound like a freshman. A very mature player uh, seems to really be – smart, uh, intelligent football IQ. 
So uh, we'll see how those guys, uh, you know, shape up in the spring. But again, nine new players uh, arrived on campus this week. So as we get into the spring, more and more sports that we're only used to seeing in this part of the year are going to crank up. One of those is gymnastics. And Scott, if you can give us a little primer on Jenny Rowland's team, looks like it's going to be another really, really strong one to get ready to contend for another title. Yeah, it is. Uh, it's shaping up to be right there at the top five again. You know, we're talking about this group being back in the uh, Super Six come spring, and none of us should be surprised. But there is a little different twist to to this team. You know, Ginny Rowland's in her fourth year, and this is the first time in her tenure here at Florida that there are no no ones left from those uh, three consecutive national title teams and. Hmm. Obviously, the big name that is gone is Alex McMurtry, who, uh, you know, she goes down right there with Bridget Sloan and Keecher Hunter as uh, maybe the three best gymnasts in the program's history. Now, Jenny uh, Rowland has the, she had to rebuild the roster. There are some familiar faces. Uh, senior Alicia Boren is going to be a key to this team. Sophomore Lisa Bauman, she uh, had a nice year last year as a freshman. They're going to expect more out of her this year. But you have six true freshmen, and if there's one name that I'm sure you guys have heard of because uh, she's so big, Trinity Thomas, uh, true freshman out of York, Pennsylvania. Uh, I remember watching her over the summer, actually, in the uh, national final. She's already a member of the U.S. senior national team. Mm. She's right there in the mold of, of gymnasts like uh, Sloan and Hunter. She's elite all growing up, has a lot of international uh, experience under her belt. So uh, she's going to be someone to watch when the Gators open up Friday night at home against Missouri. And uh, they're already talking about maybe 10,000 fans there. This is a favorite attraction for Gator fans, especially your your local community, very family-friendly. And uh, they've done a great job through the years of building this program to where it is and developing a connection with the community. For this week's PAT, I want to take things back to uh, Monday night where I'm, I'm guessing all three of us were shocked, along with the, the rest of the country, at the absolute demolition of Alabama by Clemson in every which way, outplayed, outcoached, you name it, and, and Clemson did it. There's a lot of people that are seeing that and reacting in a, this is the end of Alabama, this is the end of Saban, it's on the decline now, the dynasty is over. I'm curious where you guys are after seeing what happened on Monday. Are you ready to declare Clemson and Dabo Sweeney as the new Alabama Saban dynasty, or are the are the reports of the death of Alabama greatly exaggerated? I'll say this. In this very patient world of social media, there's already a hashtag fire Nick Saban. No, there isn't. <laughs> oh, yeah, oh, come on, man. Of course there is. Course wow. There is. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So uh, what I, I saw, Scott tweeted it out. Uh, what are they? Both teams are fifty-four and four with two national championships the last four years, right? Yeah, now fifty-five and four now. Fifty-five Crazy. and four with two national championships each over the last four years. I say that's pretty even, don't you think? Yeah, I would say I would say Clemson has uh, closed the door on whatever progress or, or whatever whatever dominance. Alabama has a mate. I don't know. Maybe Alabama needs needs to start recruiting some five star athletes. Kind of you know, maybe get after it a little better for Clemson. But uh, was it surprising what happened the other night? You know, when you when you turn the ball over and don't capitalize in the red zone, that's the kind of stuff that can happen against a really good team. I think what I was surprised most about that game was the poise and the and the and the accuracy of Trevor Lawrence. You know, I'm not saying I'd seen him play a couple times, but to watch him for a whole game do that against 
guys are going to be playing on Sundays. That was really, really impressive. And to fact, to think the fact that he, he not only is going to be in the college the next two years, but has to be in college the next two years is pretty, uh, both encouraging for, uh, for Clemson and frightening for the ACC and the rest of college football is, have we seen the, uh, turning of the tide as it were? Why can't we just have two really, really, really good teams and then let it go from there? I mean, I, Dabo Sweeney is all about the right things. I love the fact he talked about, you know, they're asked about a dynasty, said it's not a dynasty. And I think his, his players are very reflective of him. I mean, that's just a, a program that has it all going on right now and it all, and it all starts at the top. So, Good for them. We'll let Alabama go through these horrible times of theirs. I'm sure they'll work their way through it. When I go to Alabama in a, in a few weeks uh, for a basketball game, I'm sure I'll, I'll, talk, I'll talk to some fans and see you know, how deep in the jar and how discouraged they are about the direction of their program. <laughs> but uh, I, I don't think a whole lot of people are going to have a lot of sympathy for them regardless. Yeah, I would imagine that Nick Saban's probably slept about three hours since that game. He's probably... <laughs> Grinding the midnight oil, trying to figure out what he would have done differently. And you know what? Whatever there was to do differently, he'll, he'll figure it out if it can help Alabama. I mean, that's where he is. I think he's the greatest college football coach in history. That's just my opinion. Um, but I'm not counting him out. You know, I think what a lot of people looked at this as, uh, you know, Alabama was one, Clemson was one A. I think now you just scratch that little A out. I think they're on even terms. You know, obviously, I would think Clemson would open next year as the number one ranked team. Alabama's probably going to open number two right where they finish this year, and they'll let it play out. And, you know, I don't know how America will feel about this, but you could easily see both of these teams being right there again next year. But I think the, the thing that really, and Chris touched on it, the thing, you look at what's going on with these two programs and where they are. As much as we've talked about Alabama quarterbacks the last couple of years and Jalen Hurts, who obviously is now transferred, and Tua Tagovola, and now the star quarterback in college football without question is Trevor Lawrence. And that's not saying that Tua won't have another great year next year and, and be right back and maybe get the best of him. But I'm like Chris, man, I, when I watched that game the other night, having really not paid much attention to Clemson, at least not watching their games, and just watching him and not just his arm and, and his athleticism and what he did in the pocket, but just whenever they panned the camera to him in his face, the guy looked to me like, you know, John Elway or Drew Brees in their fifth year in the NFL. I mean, that's how, that's how sharp and under control he looked to me. And, uh, man, that's a scary thought for the rest of uh, the ACC, the rest of college football. How do you blow out Alabama by 28 points? Uh, no one expected it to be able to happen. And, and yet Clemson found a way. Well, it was a shocking end to a college football season and certainly had a lot of surprises. And I know most fans are already looking forward to what happens next year. And probably for Alabama, they're ready for another game with Clemson in the national championship, which it'd be hard to bet against given the way that's gone back and forth over the last four or five years. But what we got going on this weekend for the Gators, basketball in the Odom, that's sold out on Saturday. Gymnastics will be there on Friday night just before. Big, big weekend. Scott and Chris will have that all covered over at FloridaGators.com. And you can follow them on Twitter for the latest updates at Gators Scott at Gators Chris. Gentlemen, thank you so much as always. All right, thanks, Adam. Thank you, Adam. Sharpshooters have long been a hallmark of Gator basketball, with names like Brett Nelson, Matt Walsh, Lee Humphrey, Michael Frazier, and Kenny Boynton, just to name a few. Although he's just a freshman, Noah Locke certainly looks poised to join that club someday. We spoke to the first-year guard about his game and how he got here, 
but began by finding out where it all started. Um, well, I grew up in uh, Baltimore, Maryland. I have two siblings, actually. I have an older brother and a younger sister. And um, my whole family played basketball. My mom played basketball. My dad coached college level, high school level. He coached pretty much all levels. And um, he also coached me and my brother and my sister. So, wow. I mean, he's coached and he's played. My mom is also coached, too. She coached at the junior college level, high school level, too. And um, she's also coaching my sister now. Wow. And um, my older brother now is playing overseas. Um, he just left Hungary. Huh. He's actually on a yeah. He actually left Hungary. He's been to a, a lot of different um countries playing, but it's only like his second year out. So wow. it's a little different. It's it's a little different overseas. So um, he's been to a lot of different places. Uh, my little sister, she's playing now. Uh, she's really really tall. She's about like five ten and only fourteen. Wow. And yeah, yeah, she's really good. She's gonna be really good. My dad's pretty tall, so my brother and my sister got that height. I mean, I wish I could be a little taller, but <laughs> my brother's like six five, six six, and my sister is, you know, five ten. Like I said, it's all a basketball family, so I mean, you know, they always own me about everything. Mm -hmm. And um, you know, they always got the right things to say. It's definitely great to have that. So it sounds like basketball was uh, maybe you were you were born with with a basketball in your hands. I mean, was it something you you immediately took to, or did it take a while for you to embrace the game? No, no, it it immediately came to me. Um, I mean, I always grew up watching my bigger brother play because, like I said, my dad coached my bigger brother. So you know, I would always when they would have practice, or whatever, I would always you know be there watching them practice and you know, you know, have a ball in my hand, shooting on the side, hoops and stuff like that. I mean, I've learned from a lot of watching. My dad taught me some, but I mean, I watched a lot. And I feel like a lot of it came natural. You know, I'm pretty much, I'm pretty sure that's how my sister was too. Well, I mean, I, I kind of, I kind of taught my sister a lot, always being there watching and stuff like that. But, you know, that's pretty much what it was. I mean, I just fell into it. You know, my, my dad and my mom and, and everybody had a ball. So, I mean, I was just, you know, just fell right in. Outside of it being uh, the, the family business, so to speak, what was it about the game that you liked so much? Why did you fall for it in the way that you did? I always liked to, liked to shoot. And it always felt so good for me to, like, you know, get the ball in the hoop. And, you know, once that started happening for me, I mean, it's just I just got addicted to it. and just always wanted to just shoot the ball. That's probably one of the things that really made me want to play basketball and I, I used to watch a lot. I used to watch NBA, and it just was great, you know, just watching all that and all the excitement and all the, all the fans and all that stuff. Just, just, just with basketball, and it just, you know, made me fall in love with it. When you started getting recruited, what made Florida stand out to you during that process? Probably, I mean, the coaching staff. I mean, I was, I was really close with the coaching staff. I mean, they were great guys. They're pretty young, pretty young guys. Um, I could relate with them well, and. um the whole playing style here, I mean, I love how we play fast pace. Coach White pretty much lets us go. And, um, I mean, I just like the atmosphere, you know, the weather here. Mm -hmm. I like, I mean, I like my team. I like the team a lot. And, I mean, and it felt like, and it felt like, I mean, I, I will have the best chance to play, you know, in the NBA after this mm -hmm. here. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What it seems like you got a lot of influence as well around you. I mean, how much of your game is influenced by, your family and your parents, and then how much is it influenced by some of the guys you grew up watching play at the next level? 
I mean, you know, I look up to my brother, my older brother a lot. Like, me and him are, like, really, really close. And, um, you know, we pretty much pay for each other. I mean, he, I talk to him every day on the phone, and he tells me I'm the one that, you know, like, keeps him going. And, you know, he plays for me, and I also, like, play for him because, I mean, I look up to him. He, he's always on me about, you know, certain things that I need to do. It's not he, – he doesn't really criticize me a whole lot. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, he, he, he pretty much just – telling me the things I need to do better in like a brotherly way that my dad is more of like to criticize. He criticized me pretty much a lot. I mean, I could take it too though. I mean, mm-hmm. cause I mean, I grew up like that and um, I mean, that influenced me a lot and um, like me watching the game, uh, OKC when um, Kevin Durant and James Harden, mm-hmm. Russell Westbrook was on the team. I mean, that was probably the team I like, I watched them like almost every game. Like, I mean, I really liked that team. They influenced me to do a lot of things in basketball. Like, I watch them all the time, trying to, you know, do the things that they do. And, um, you know, if I, I knew if I could, you know, do those type of things, I could make it to those type of levels. When your family gets together and, and you guys play, I mean, is it like family games being organized? Is there a ranking? Like, who's the best? Who can you beat in your family and who beats you <laughs> in your family? <laughs> um. I mean, I could be my sister for sure. I could be, <laughs> I could be my dad now. I mean, I could be everybody else. I mean, my brother, my brother's like strong, like he's pretty strong, and I mean, he always finds his way to just like put me in the rim and score me. So, <laughs> I mean, it's kind of, it's kind of hard to be him still. But I mean, I've gotten him a couple times. But like overall, like all the, all the wins, I'm pretty sure he, he got me for right now. But pretty, pretty sure after a while, I'm pretty sure I'll be able to get him. <laughs> yeah. Do you remember the first time that you beat your dad and that sort of flipped to where you said, oh, wait, I'm better than him now? <laughs> <laughs> um, we played this one time because, I, like I said, he played at um, Coppin State, mm. uh, coached at Coppin State, and he also played at Coppin State. My mom and dad played at Coppin State, by the way. Mm-hmm. But um, after, like, practice one day, he was, like, in there, and, like, I was shooting around, and then he came over there and just, like, was, like all right, let's just play one-on-one. And I was, like, so surprised because, like, we – this was like when he was like he's like older now like and I was like okay we can play I don't want to like hurt him or anything <laughs> so we was playing and surprisingly his defense was still like good but I mean I still ended up beating him but I kind of wanted to take it easy on him but he was like teach me a lesson as in like if you have somebody that's you know weaker than you like you shouldn't like take any like mercy on him but I was like I mean like you're my dad like, <laughs> I don't I don't want to like take no mercy but he was he was still trying to teach that lesson as in like you know somebody you know is weaker than you don't don't go down to that level and play at that level when you can easily play better than them I want to talk about when you got on campus now fast forwarding a little bit uh, what do you remember about when you got to campus over the summer and some of the bigger adjustments you had to make both on the court and in the classroom? This that first week was probably like the hardest week ever. I was I was a lot it was a lot of stress going on um you know coming into the, playing basketball here and you know everything just being so so fast. You know I'm on my own and you know I don't have my parents to look to no more. Like I I wasn't like like all the other um especially like Andrew and Keontae like they had they lived away from their parents, like, during high school and stuff like that. So I was with my parents, like, throughout my whole life. And for me to just leave and be on my own, it was definitely something I had to adjust to. I mean, in the in the gym, you know, everything was so much harder in the weight room. Um, practice was so much faster. Guys were, like, so much stronger. I still had confidence there, but, I mean, confidence at that point. But I feel like I have much more confidence now. But, um, 
it was it was definitely a hard time for me, especially and then going to class and I had I had like a tutor after practice, so I would go to school in the morning, then we'd have practice, and then after practice, like I go to a tutor. Mm-hmm. So it was just so much going on. I just I just really needed to adjust and like really grow up because I mean I knew I was gonna be on my own, and um I mean I feel like having having roommates and you know my teammates there. I mean, I knew they was going through the same thing, so I felt like that helped also. You often hear freshman stories of like something funny that happens just because you don't know any better, guys who forget to get off the bus or stop the bus to get mm-hmm. off their stuff. Have you had any uh, any funny freshman moments on campus that, uh, that, <laughs> that that you would share with us at, at the risk of embarrassing um, yourself? <laughs> I, can't even, I can't even remember any. I mean, I know some that other people did, but I mean, other <laughs> freshmen did, but for me, I can't really, I can't really remember any. Well, I, guess, um, I, I guess that's good then, right? Let everybody yeah, yeah, else yeah. get embarrassed. You're fine. Right. <laughs> right, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> this freshman class, you just talked about some of the other guys. You've had such an immediate impact on this team. What do you mm-hmm. think has enabled your class to get on the court and play meaningful minutes so quickly? I mean, I, I feel like it's playing our games, being confident, and also being able to um, be accountable, being able to listen to the things that Coach is saying, and being able to be positive out there on the floor and doing the right things. I mean, because I feel like Coach White likes guys that play hard and do the right things. And um, we've adapted well enough to know that those are the things that will let us play. And um, once we get out there, we just play with our confidence and we're all good players so we can, you know, do the things that we can do to win. I heard you say in another interview that on some occasions you and your freshman teammates are actually pushing the older guys in the same way that they were pushing you when you came in. What's the key to to doing that in a way that's respectful of the older guys, but also saying, yeah. "Hey, uh, you know, we're part of this team now, and and we understand yeah. what what the the standard is." I feel like we just got to find our find our times when to do it. I feel like it shouldn't be us always like you know fussing at the team and and causing causing havoc like that. But like when times we we've been here long enough to know what's right. It was wrong with what Coach White and what the coaches are telling us to do. So, I mean, if we hear something or if we see someone doing something wrong and we know that we could make them do the right thing, we will hold them accountable. And um, Coach White always talks about accountability. And, I mean, I feel like we're accountable enough to, like, do those type of things. And, you know, other coaches, the other coaches like uh, Coach Nichols and Coach Mincy, I mean, they're always on like us about leading too because they know that we've been here long enough and they know that we're we're smart enough and we'll say the right things to our teammates, you know, to make it make them better. Like they know we won't say anything to like make any bad things happen with the other players. Mm-hmm. Which older player do you feel like you've learned the most from so far? Is there is there one guy in particular who's kind of taking you under his wing? I feel I feel like I've learned a lot from all the all the, all the older guys. I mean, I've learned a lot. Um, came here, like I knew that they knew what was going on, and um, you know, I tried to mold my way into it by the way they did it. So I tried to, you know, listen to the things that they were saying. Tried to, I, don't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to say like be the way they were, but like mm-hmm. you know, just just take some things, take some things that they knew and try to imply it into my game. I mean, just like. Cause it, it what was hard for me in the be in the beginning was cause when I played high school I was like the the man on the team sure. and uh, it really wasn't nobody really on my team that could really play really that well so I was I would like chase the ball a lot I would chase the ball I would go go get the ball a lot. it wasn't a lot of spacing 
when when I played and um I mean I once I came here it was kind of difficult for me to space in the right way spacing no, knowing how knowing how I'm gonna get my shots knowing how to score the most efficient way and getting the best shots I can take you know by watching them and you know seeing the way that they they move out there on the floor I mean it kind of helped me learn how to you know space the floor and know what shots I'm gonna get and what shots that I mean it's going to be bad shots I think I learned those things from them and I also learned from uh the coaches also, because they've they they taught me a lot of different things too. What do you remember about your first game and the the nerves that you had when you were on the court? And then how did you overcome those nerves? Uh, oh man, I was the Florida State game. I was nervous. I'm not gonna lie. I was I was pretty nervous, but I was also confident too. I felt, you know, I've been working all my life for this type for this you know to be in this moment, mm-hmm. and for me to get to finally get the opportunity to do it. Like I, I told myself that I wasn't going to you know get too nervous to where I can't contribute or, you know, play the right way. You know, when I got out there, you know, it was a, it was, it was a few nerves, you know, running to the table, sitting there and <laughs> getting in. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, it definitely, it definitely weared off once I started running up and down a little bit and, um, got to play some. Do you feel it now still, or after the number of games no, you've played, uh, is no, that worn no, off? No, 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 that is, that's definitely worn off. I mean, I, I feel like I've been on this team for, <laughs> like a while like a long time now like I mean it's 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 pretty much just like a regular game now I mean I I still have a little nerves going into the game I mean I mean I'm pretty sure everyone does like I'm pretty sure the best players that play still have a little nerves mm-hmm. going into games but I mean no it's nowhere near as close as how it used to be when I when I first started playing Obviously, basketball is a big part of your life. It always has been. But I'd, I'd mm-hmm. like to think there are some things you get to enjoy outside of that. So what are when you get away from the court, what are some things that, that you enjoy doing? I enjoy hanging like hanging out with, uh, you know, my team. I hang out with Andrew. Like Andrew is probably like one of like my closest friends here. And I mean, on the team, like he's probably like one of my closest. And I hang out with him all the time. I mean, I, I like to I like music a lot, too. I like to listen to music talk to my family a lot i talk to my like i said i talk to my brother every day and since he's so far away i mean the only way we can really talk or like really hang out or whatever is we we, we play the video game sometimes together so mm-hmm. we'll play the video game i played a video game with him and you know we get to interact like that but i mean just pretty much being a social person with the people that i'm close with i mean that's pretty much what i like to do i don't really like to going out to different places and you know, just just doing all all that other stuff. I just like to hang out with my the people that I'm close with, and you know, maybe maybe go like see a movie sometimes, mm-hmm. or just just do some little subtle things with them. I mean, that 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 pretty much cleared my day because I'm I'm pretty much with basketball, doing basketball all the time, so I'm pretty much tired. So mm-hmm. I just want to you know relax and and hang out a little sure. bit. What uh what's on that playlist for you if you're a, a big uh, music guy? Yeah, you know, I listen to a lot of rap. I listen to. I mean, my favorite rapper is probably right now is probably uh, Young Thug. I listen, I listen to a lot of music. Like I listen to like Lil Baby. I listen to pretty much everybody. To be honest, everybody. Like, I mean, whatever. <laughs> yeah, I listen to pretty much everybody. Whatever, whoever has the, the best song. I mean, I listen to a lot of old stuff too. My because my dad had this back when we were younger. He had this playlist in his truck. It was like the CD. And like it was like literally every R and B song that you could ever think about. It was like all <laughs> on that playlist and I like I like know pretty much every every one of them. And, you know, growing up listening to it, I mean I'd still listen to all those songs now. I'm pretty, you know, hip to all the, you know, older stuff. 
who's your favorite old school artist? I mean, it's it's not it's not really super old school, but um, I mean, I listen to some like LL Cool J. Okay. I listen to some uh, I listen to some Brandy. I listen to some. Oh man! And the thing is, like, when I would listen to these songs, like, sometimes I wouldn't even know the name. Like, I wouldn't even know the name or the person. Mm-hmm. But I would just like, I I would hear the song, like, and I would know every single word in it because my dad would just play it. Right. So like, I would like listen to the song, and you know, rem- memorize all the words, but still do not know what the name is. <laughs> so like, I mean, L. Cool J is somebody that I could really remember. There's so many other, you know, artists that I, I've listened to. Mm-hmm. 90s counts as old school now. So that's, I think that's, yeah. uh, that's, that's fair. That's fair. Yeah, yeah, true. Um, final thing for you, bringing things back to basketball, looking mm-hmm. big picture, what do you feel like right now are the most important things that this team is working on? And then what mm-hmm. are the most important things that you as an individual are working on? As a team, I feel like we, biggest thing we're probably working on right now is consistency, staying consistent and discipline those things are like probably the biggest things we're trying to stay focused on right now because um i mean we're a really good team we've got a lot of talent on the team and it's a lot of a lot of guys can help us win and i feel like if we if we stay consistent everyone doing that job the right way and everyone playing hard i feel like we can be one of the best teams in college basketball so i mean those those are probably the things that we're focused on the most right now and as for me you know i'm just i'm just focused on you know also staying consistent you know doing my job the right way uh you know doing what coach white asked because i mean that's a big thing I mean, he always tells us the right the right things and i'm just making sure that you know i stay on top of those things and also you know stay com- i want to stay competitive and you know work as hard as i can every day and i'm um, also work like like offensively you know working on just just not not being like a one-dimensional player, being able to do different things out there on the floor. Um, you know, defensively, also just being able to do multiple different things. That's pretty much what I'm working on. Just just staying, just being versatile. You know, not always, you know, always shooting the three. Maybe you know, getting the one dribble pull up in sometimes or a floor sometimes. Mm-hmm. And you know, taking what the defense gives me. And I've been working on those things a lot in the gym, and um, I feel like it. Uh, it'll end up, you know, I'm playing in my game real soon. Well, no, we really appreciate your time. Wish you a lot of luck as you move through the SEC. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm. Yep. Appreciate you. And that's going to do it for this week's show. If you haven't already done so, be sure to subscribe to Gator Tales in the podcast app of your choice, and please leave a review to help us continue to grow. From Friday night through Sunday afternoon, stay locked in on all the action inside Exact Tech Arena with gymnastics, men's basketball, and women's basketball all holding court. We'll be back next Thursday with an all-new episode, so don't miss it. Until then, I'm Adam Schick, and I'll see you in the O-Dome.